Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Danielle Nicholson, uh, and today's reading comes from Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. In early autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a, uni- with a unified purpose. Then Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, joined his fellow priest and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, with his family in rebuilding the altar of the God of Israel. They wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar at its old site. Then they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning and evening. They celebrated the festival of shelters as prescribed in the law, sacrificing the number of burnt offerings specified for each day of the festival. They also offered the regular burnt offerings and the offerings required for the new moon celebrations and the annual festivals as prescribed by the Lord. The people also gave voluntary offerings to the Lord. Fifteen days before the festival of shelters began, the priest had begun to sacrifice burnt offerings to the Lord. This was even before they had started to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. Then the people hired masons and carpenters and brought cedar logs from the people of Tyre and Sidon, paying them with food, wine, and olive oil. The logs were brought down from the Lebanon mountains and floated along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa, for King Cyrus had given permission for this. The construction of the temple of God began in mid-spring during the second year after they arrived in Jerusalem. The workforce was made up of everyone who had returned from exile, including Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, and his fellow priest and all the Levites. The Levites who were 20 years old or older were put in charge of rebuilding the Lord's temple. The workers at the temple of God were supervised by Jeshua with his sons and relatives, and Kadmiel and his sons, all descendants of Hodovia. They were helped in this task by the Levites of the family of Henadad. When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes, took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as David had prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good, his faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far in the distance. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central Church. Good morning. We're glad you could join us on this Palm Sunday. Thank you so much for allowing um, Christ Central to be your home to be able to celebrate this day. And thank you again for Kelly for this beautiful artwork that we get to observe even through our sermon artwork today as well. We also have another art piece that will be shared with us next week by one of our other resident artists in our church. So please be in anticipation, be in anticipation for that. I'm so grateful as well as excited for us being able to worship our God like this. Amen? 
Um, my name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central Church. On this Palm Sunday, we continue our short sermon series titled Echoes of Jesus in the Old Testament. This is designed to survey significant periods of the Old Testament to see how each moment we see the echoes of Jesus and how every passage and the time period points towards Jesus who is to come, who is to die on the cross, and who is to rise on the Easter Sunday. And we saw how Jesus was echoed throughout the patriarch periods, the head of the household, as we call them, throughout Abraham's time and all the patriarchs' time. We also saw that throughout the time of Exodus, as Israel was exiting out of Egypt, coming to the promised land, we saw echoes of Christ throughout that story as well. And last week, we saw the echoes of Jesus in the the kingdom times, through King David, the promise that God gives to 2 Samuel 7. And today, now we get to come to, to the echoes of Jesus in the Old Testament during the times of the exile, the time when Israelites were sent off to Babylon due to their disobedience. But despite their failure, we see that God is still at work in their lives and additionally, as we see God working through their lives, we see the echoes of Jesus shown again, even during this time when Israel is sent away and now is brought back into the promised land again. A couple of years ago, I had a chance to go to St. Louis because of our denomination's national conference. And for me and my family, St. Louis was our home. St. Louis has been a home before we came to Charlotte, North Carolina. It's been about 10 years now since we left um, St. Louis to come to Charlotte. And for my family, St. Louis brings back many fond memories of a home. St. Louis is where my wife and I first met. It's also where we uh, found out of God's conviction for our future and our direction was clear for us. St. Louis was also a place where many friendships, many mentors, and all the other things began. St. Louis reminds us of home, us of home in many ways than not. So when I first landed in St. Louis, I was really excited to be able to go back to all these places that I used to go to, all the places that I used to go eat, all the places I used to go to study, order coffee, and stay there for hours and hours memorizing Hebrew and Greek vocabulary words only to fail the next day. Uh, I was excited to go back to the church I served as well as the first date spot that we went to. You know, as a youth pastor, when I was dating uh, Lynn, our goal was to get away as far away so that our youth kids would not be able to find us, right? So we always looking for those places where we found this obscure coffee spot called Starbucks in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we, I, I long to go to all these different places that we have a lot of memories that are dear to us. But soon I also realized that this home that I once held so dear in my heart didn't quite feel like home as well. A lot changed in 10 years. Some new spots has replaced the old buildings. And I realized, wait, is this even the place I was at before? Many places of memory didn't seem quite familiar at all to us. You all understand this, don't you? Have you ever been to, for those who have been with us for a long time, have you ever been to the neighborhood theater? 
where Christ Central first began, when you go there, you realize, wow, this is brand new building, brand new spot, only the sign is the same. Have you ever returned to your home, your family home, hometown, after leaving for a long time? We realize the home that we once called home doesn't quite feel like home to us anymore. Perhaps that is the glimpse of what the Israelites felt upon returning home after their 70-year-long exile. 70 long years. And today's text in Ezra tells us of a story of Israelites settling in their land after these 70 years. The land they longed for to come back. The land that they were destined to be in. The land that they were called to be in, but they were exiled because of their disobedience to God. As they come back and return to this land, they realize a lot has changed. There are people that are not really fond of them coming back. A lot of different things that they used to enjoy, places they worshipped, places where they longed to be at, was not the same. So on one hand, there was joy of returning. But on the other hand, there was sorrow upon Israelites. Not only because things had changed, but also was a reminder that they were exiled meaning they were forced to leave their home due to their sin, consequences of their actions. But in the midst of all this, emotions and experiences, what we find and what Israelites find is their God who is faithful to them. Despite their failures to be faithful, God did not give up on them. And through this chapter in Ezra, and in the history of Israel, during the exilic times, we hear the echoes of Jesus seen again and again and again. Jesus who does not give up upon his people. And we see that through how God brought Israelites back to this land and how God is going to bring all of us eventually back home as well. The first thing we see through this text of God's faithfulness to Israel is by how God brought the Israelites back home, how God brought the Israelites back home. For anyone who has ever put on a show, right, or anyone who has put on a wedding or a house party, whatever birthday party, a gathering for school play, business meetings, whatever it may be, you know having an event planner makes all the difference. Event planners, the wedding planners, mom and dad behind the birthday parties, is how things move and get done. It's not like those meetings get done just because you simply show up. There's got to be a planner that orchestrates all things, moves all things, makes sure everyone is in the right spot. Event planners, wedding planners, or sometimes called mom and dads, are a significant player when it comes to putting out any kind of gathering. So when it comes to Israelites returning home in this text, we see God is the greatest event planner of them all. We see his hands in every move in bringing Israelites back home. Ezra 3 begins with the exile's return. It says, In early autumn, Israelites had settled in their towns. All the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. And what is the purpose that they were gathering? 
Yes, they returned home finally after 70 years, home to Jerusalem, their promised land. But now the goal is not only physically to return home, but also to return home to their God, Yahweh, God of Abraham, God of David, God of their ancestors. But in order for them to do that, they needed a God's divine intervention. God has to work to bring them back. And how does God work through this text? God does this by doing miraculous things to bring simply Israelites back to their land. We see God works through miraculous circumstances. Ezra chapter 1 verse 2 says, this is what the king Cyrus of Persia says, The Lord, the God of heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem, and may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute towards their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey, livestock, as well as voluntary offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia's reign, 538 B.C., God prompts this foreign king, powerful king, to send these Israelites back home. You know, naturally, two things have to happen in order for a nation like this to be able to return and retake its own land. Either they become a strong nation again and they revolt against another king that holds them together, or the nation that holds them has to suddenly grow weak and they can't hold these exiles anymore. So they go free. So they declare independence. But we don't see any of that, do we? We see this King Cyrus still reigning in this large kingdom of Persia. But as always in the history of Israel, it's not about the Israelites' power, but it's God who intervenes and brought Israelites home. Talk about a miracle. Talk about deliverance. And talk about who the true king of the universe is. It's not Cyrus, the king of Persia, but king of kings, the Lord of the lords, God of the universe. If God's word is true king, as David declares in Psalm 22, 28, for royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. So this king, the Lord of the lords, prompts this king Cyrus to send the Israelites back home. God works through that. But not only does God work through this King Cyrus to send Israelites back, he sends him with the permission of the power of transportation of all the materials that's needed to build it. Not only King Cyrus says, well, not only I'm going to send you off, but all of you give something to that, right? Isn't that crazy? A king would do that. But not only so, he makes sure all the materials are there to be able to build it. Verse 7 of today's text says, Then the people hired masons and carpenters and brought cedar logs from the people, Tyre and Sidon, paint them with food, wine, and olive oil. And later on it says, For the king Cyrus had given permission to do this. Not only he prepared his king's heart to send them off, but gives him permission to get all the materials. But furthermore, not only does he move the hearts of the king, he also moves the hearts of God's people. Chapter 1, verse 5 through 6 says, Then God stirred 
the hearts of the priests and Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And all their neighbors assisted by giving them articles of silver, gold, supplies of journey, and livestock. Not only God prepares the circumstances, but he also works in the hearts and the minds of his people. Another exodus out, this time out of Babylon, towards God's promised land. It's pictured here. Materials, hearts of the king, hearts of even God's own people, all in the palms of our mighty God we serve. That's what we see in this text. But the question is, why would God do that for this adulterous nation? The people that do not obey God's command. Those who were exiled in the first place because they simply did not obey God. Do you know why God does that? Because simply, God promised that he will bring them back. Ezra chapter 1, 1 says, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jerusalem. Church, I don't want you to miss that. That's the grace of God. It's not, God was not saying, well, he looked at these people and they said, wow, these people are great again. Therefore, I'll send them back. It's not like, wow, they brought this amazing offering. Look at this nice golden calf they brought for me. Now I'll send you back. It's not like, wow, they kept God's law for seven consecutive days. Wow, now I have hope. Let's send them back. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, he just wants to fulfill the promise he gave to Jeremiah. And what was that prophecy? If you turn, if you have a physical Bible, or if you have your, you know, your phones, you can scroll down a little bit, and you get to 2 Chronicles 36. In 2 Chronicles 36, verse 21 says this. So the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest. Why? Because Israelites left, were exiled, lying desolate until the 70 years were fulfilled, just as the prophet has said. But also the glimpse of the promise for the return is already given in 2 Chronicles as they depart. Verse 22, in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy. The prophecy that God gave to Israelites through Jeremiah in the 29th chapter, that he will bring them back in, after 70 years of exile. And God does this. God keeps his word to Israelites, and God is faithful to Israelites despite their failures because God cannot help but to be faithful to himself and the promises that he gives to his people. And do Israelites know this? I believe so. How else would have they returned on their own? It's not like the Persian Empire was crumbling. Against this powerful Persian nation at the time, we see these returning exiles coming back. And we see a glimpse of them knowing why they return and the way they closely hold on to God's promise. Ezra chapter 3 verse 2 says, They wanted to sacrifice burnt offering on it as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Verse 4 says, they celebrate the festival shelter as prescribed in the law, sacrificing the number of burnt offerings for each day of the festival 
offerings required for the New Moon celebration annual festivals as prescribed by the Lord. Jumping down to verse 10, when the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put their robes, took their places, blow their trumpet, the Levites, descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals, praised the Lord just as the King David prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is good. He is so good. His faithful Lord, his hesed love, steadfast of love, endures forever. Church, you know Israelites coming home story can be easily summarized as God simply fulfilling his promise by orchestrating all things, kings, people, materials, working all things out so that his people can return. God kept true to his promise, his word, that he is not done with Israelites despite their sins. I don't know if you need to hear that this morning. I need to. And that is the message that you and I hear on this Palm Sunday. And that's the message that you and I hear every Sunday we gather in the name of the Lord. The name of the game is not how much I could do for you lately, Lord. The name of the game is I come absolutely dependent upon this grace of the Lord to bring me home. On this Palm Sunday, as Jesus enters Jerusalem on donkey's back, here comes your God, church. He knows your sins. He knows how far you have fallen from him at times. He sees you. He sees your weak. He sees your heart. The question is, do you see him? Do you see this king who knows you? And why do you think God comes in the first place? As John the baptizer stated, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you see the Savior on the donkey's back comes to fulfill God's promise? The message of Palm Sunday, the Passion Week, the Easter Sunday, is that God will keep his promise. The promise he gave back in Genesis chapter 3, back to the patriarchs, back to the time of Exodus, through King David, through prophets, time and time again, our God who gave his promise will fulfill his promise. Let me say that one more time so you can say amen today. God who gave his promise will fulfill his promise. Just as he's brought the Israelites back home, if you believe in Jesus as your Savior, he's the one who has brought you back home too, isn't he? The cross of Christ is much more than Easter eggs. It is much more than spring break. Much more than nice, fancy clothes and the family pictures, family brunch, all good things and yes to all that. But much more than that. Our God brought you home. That's the message of the Palm Sunday and the Easter Sunday. And for those of us who do not know who Christ is this morning like this, this is God who moves mountains orchestrates all things in his time to call you home. Don't just hear me on it. Go to these red chairs during our prayer times and ask them. Right? Ask all these leaders, what is your testimony? How did God bring you home? The testimony of Palm Sunday is the resurrection, is that God brought the Israelites back home, and God also will bring us back home as well. God will bring us to his eternal home. 
I know the start of April, for a lot of us who love baseball, is the beginning of the baseball season, right? As they always say, in the beginning of uh, the baseball season is when everybody can win. Everybody can have hope. And for lifelong Chicago Cubs fan who always lost, every April was, okay, this is our year. And by May, we realize there's always next year. Uh, spring baseball for happens, not only for the baseball teams, but also for your kids are happening. And one of my favorite events to watch in baseball is the Little League World Series, right? Where all these young kids have hopes of one day playing um, the big leagues, but they all play with passion and hope. Every year in the Williamsport, Pennsylvania, this grand event takes place where they bring kids from all around the world to play in this World Series. And most of it, it's not possible without the volunteers. And whenever asked why many, so many people serve in this capacity, many volunteers will simply say, love for kids, love for the sport, and love for this tradition. You know, God is at work in orchestrating and bringing his exiles back home. And God also promises to bring his people those who place their faith in Christ back home. But behind this heart of God, the motivation of why God does that is his love for God's people. Love for God's people. So as we saw in this text, Israelites are gathered for a common purpose here. And we saw that for Israelites, the home was not only meant coming home to their land, but coming back to their God, their true home. So what are we told the Israelites do here? They first build an altar first, together with everyone on board. They had a place for it. They see it. So they set their altar on the spot where it had been before the exile. And they offered their sacrifices as it was outlined in the book of Moses, and as often we see in Old Testament, in the book of Exodus and Leviticus. But the home for them also meant not only the altar, but the temple place where God symbolically dwelled with his people, with resources God has provided for them now, they lay down the places, the foundation of the wall of the temple. The place will become home for God, home for them again. So when the foundation was laid for this, there was this great shout of joy and praise that went out to the Lord. Verse 10 says, When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes as was prescribed, took their places to bow, blow their trumpets, Levites, descendants of Asaph, clasped their symbols to praise the Lord, just as King David prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. He is so good. His faithful love, steadfast, hesed love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave their great shout, praising the Lord because of the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. And it was heard miles away, quite a contrast from the fear of people before surrounding neighbors who lived there. But verse 12 says, but many of the older priests, Levites, other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and weeping 
mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard in far in the distance. Scripture reminds us that it was loud. The sound went far away. The testimony of God's faithfulness went far out. Quite a contrast again. But not only were there joys, there were shouts of joys that were far loud, but there's also wails of grief that flowed alongside with shouts of joy. So who had tears in these moments of joy? Well, the scripture tells us it was the older guys, right? The older guys are ruining the party here. The head of the household, the priests who had seen the first house, the temple that used to be there. You know why they had tears? Because they could remember when a day like this, the day they observed offering, sacrifice, they remember that it was it used to be every day when the smell of sacrifice was normal. They could remember the feeling secure because God was here and would never leave. They could remember when they weren't exiles, when they hadn't left God to pursue idols, when they hadn't left God to trample on the poor. They could remember when God didn't seem so far away, when they didn't feel forgotten. They could remember what the home was. So their tears rode on top of the joy. They grieved what had been lost, and they knew Though this was the same place, and they were doing the same thing, but they knew it wasn't the way it was before. Home doesn't always feel like home, does it, at times? They wanted to come home. So it was a day of both, both the gratitude and longing, both joy and sadness. They shouted with gratitude because the Lord brought them home. They shouted with joyful faith because the temple construction which had begun would someday be finished. But they also wept because they had left God by worshiping idols and trampling the poor. They wept because God let them go. They ended up far away and they lost so much. No longer a kingdom, their city in ruins no longer assured of his constant presence. So there was faith and regret, hope and grief, gratitude and longing, joy and sadness. It was a day of both. They returned and they were building and doing the right things. But even so, things didn't feel all right. Something was missing. Home doesn't always feel like home, doesn't it? Church, when I look at you, I think this is a picture of us. This is a picture of Christ Central, isn't it? That's what I see, and I'm sure when you look around this room, that's what you see too. A mixture of joyful shouts mixed with weeping, grief, Story after story of elusive satisfaction, as we say it. We hear the shouts of joys, but we also hear the grief and sorrow 
in this world. We celebrate the mountaintop moments. We also grieve at the valleys of the shadow of death. We rejoice at baptisms. We rejoice at the celebrations of the moments of life. But we also experience two deaths within our congregation this week. We hear the echoes of pain throughout this world. So many in-betweens, so many life categories are not fulfilled and oftentimes just not quiet yet. Even this place of gathering, this community that God has called us to be, the church, I believe we all gather to build this place together. We do our best to do so, to make this place a little bit of a home on earth for us. But let's be honest, we also know that it is not complete. The feeling that you may have of unsettledness, the feeling of wondering whether you belong, the constant wrestling of the hearts and desires, so many challenges, differences, and struggles. For those who are new, wondering, will this place provide a home, a safe place? For those who are old, longing for what was in the past, there's joy, there's weeping, we're home, but not fully yet. I believe that is Christ-central, and that's where we should be, church. Because God isn't done yet, right? We try to picture this home on earth, but we know that ultimate home, the heaven, is yet to come. And God is not done with us yet. In our lives, as we have both joys and sorrows, often appear, appear side by side. That's why you and I long for Christ. That's why you and I long for heaven that is to come, for Jesus to return, heavenly community to be here on earth as it is in heaven. We long for that because this place, as much as we try, doesn't quite measure up. But for now, on this side of eternity, start the journey back home, will you? Because God will ultimately bring us back home, our ultimate home. And we start with something. We don't just start with nothing. We have a place. We also have the book, the Word of God. We come home. We try our best to come home. And we admit, maybe with tears, what took us far away from God perhaps even at the sins of the others. When we say to God, I went looking for something that wasn't you, it took me to a place far from you, but this morning, I want to come home. And we learn to come home when we trust that God is at work in us, just like the book says, growing us into Christ, our head, doing far more than we could ask or imagine and bringing to completion the foundation that he has laid, we can come home to the joy-filled, faith-filled life. For God is good. His steadfast, hesed love endures forever. And our hope, church, is that eventually there will be a second temple, and eventually God's presence will return to it in incarnation of his Messiah. And this Jesus will promise that in my Father's house, 
his dwelling place, his house, there are many rooms. John 14, 2 says, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you will always be with me where I am. Eventually, Jesus would substitute himself in our place. Eventually, there would be an offering that would end all offerings once and for all, a sacrifice that would end all sacrifices. And eventually, it all happened as he died on the cross, he rose again. So now you and I can be at home with the Holy Spirit dwelling in this place according to the promise of God. Why? Because he simply loved you. He sent his son. This is God not as motivated anything else but by the glory of his name and in love for his people. And he will bring us back home. In Revelation, we see the dwelling place of God, tabernacle of God, new Jerusalem, heaven coming down. And God gathers his people to him. And that's the home that you and I are made for. The Lord is good. His steadfast, hesed love endures forever. Come home, Christ Central Church. Come home to the Lord. As I flew back home from St. Louis, coming to Charlotte, as I was looking at the small uptown area, I knew I was coming home. You know, for me now, home is where my family resides. Home is here. Christ Central Church is my home. Home is where God's people gather to testify to the one Savior who will bring all of us to home when he returns. Oh, Christ Central, will you come bow down at this Savior on this Palm Sunday? Let's pray, shall we? Pray to this Lord and say, Lord, may this week, as we start the Passion Week, may it not just merely be a Friday off, May not just merely be a spring break that is coming, but maybe a time where we remember that you have brought us back home and you are on your way of bringing us ultimately to the eternal home that you have prepared for us. Pray that, church, will you, as we prepare to go to time of Lord's Supper, ask the Lord to come to you, you and to remind you of all that he's doing to bring you home. Let's pray. Father, that's our prayer, Lord, as we come into your presence on this Palm Sunday as we remember Jesus who rides on the donkey to come. And as people cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna. As people cry out, save us, save us, Lord. That's our prayer. Come to your people who often has fallen away, gone away to idols. We ask on this Palm Sunday again, we want to return home. Come to your presence to be with our Heavenly Father who prepares the room so that we long for the heavenly, eternal community that is to come. Father, may you make that true of us as we come to the Lord's table. Prepare our hearts to dine with you a glimpse of the eternal banquet that is to come. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.